welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, November 17th, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today we are blessed to have uh, friends of Lifeline, friends of mine, and a sweet family that has brought a little girl, Francie, into their home uh, from China. And their story is is interesting and it's different because they brought little Bing Bing Francie into their home while they were living abroad. And so they were expats and adopted internationally while living in another country. And so their story is fascinating, but also it's such a picture of grace to see uh, just the, the ministry that they've been able to have to this sweet little girl, uh, both while they were abroad, but also now while they're back in the United States. But before we bring on uh, Jason and Jerry, I want to remind you about Vessels of Hope. Vessels of Hope is a ministry to orphan and vulnerable children, and it's it makes it possible because of the body of Christ that we can walk hand in hand with these children, with these families, and, and with children here that are in foster care or birth parents. Uh, these are people that give of their time, their knowledge, and their resources. Vessels of Hope is our faithful community of monthly donors, and you can see our show notes to find out more about how to become a part of this impactful group and as well get uh, other merchandise and other swag in the process as you sign up to become a Vessel of Hope. So see our show notes, or you can always go to lifelinechild.org. Like I said, we're so grateful to be joined uh, by Jason and Jerry. And friends, I guess just to start off, I'd love for you to, to introduce us to who Francie is today, uh, and, and, and tell us about your daughter. How's she doing? Well, she's doing great. Um, she has been with us a lot longer now than she was without us. And so that's a really cool marker. Hmm. But as far as who she is as a person, um, she's, I think some of the words that most people just use to describe her would be funny, kind, and just super sweet. She loves a good joke. She has the best laugh of anyone I've ever seen. It's one of those hearty cackles. Um, But she also just has a really caring motherly spirit. She likes to take care of people. If somebody's hurt, she's going to be the first one there to make sure they're okay. And she always wants to help and she's got a servant heart for sure. Yeah. And I know I had the opportunity to meet Francie when her name was Bing Bing and she was living in an orphanage in South China. And by God's grace, we were able to bring her into a foster home that, uh, that brothers and sisters were helping with there in South China. And, uh, she always had a a quiet earnestness to her. Um, but she was a sick little girl. And, uh, and I know that there were nights that, that the nannies would stay up with her, um, just loving on her and caring for her. And to see that 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 transformation in her life, to see her personality now be able to come out and and to see her live as part of a family. What are some of the changes that you guys have seen from the time that you first got her from China and South China to now being home today? Hmm. I feel like early on she was uh, one who was just, I don't know, very inward thinking, it seems like, um, 
beyond just an inability to communicate because of the language barriers that are there for a large part of those first months and years. Um, she just was inward thinking, but I feel like you can almost always figure out like what she's thinking now. She's going to tell you to the best of her ability, but you can also see it just in the way that she lives her life. There's um, just a natural desire for relationship um, and rather than just kind of being in herself. I feel like there's a an element of coming into her own and of just knowing more and more of her personality and seeing the joy that comes out of her in that. Yeah. She also went from being just like initially like a terrified mm. child to now she's just silly and giggles and she jokes around and does normal kid stuff. So. The other thing about Francie is when she came into your home, she was your first daughter and she was coming into home with, with two boys. Uh, talk about that transition of going from a boy home to having a little girl come into your home. You know, I remember, so we were living overseas when we brought her home, but we were in the States for a short stretch. We actually, when we first started our home study. And so obviously we were talking a lot about, um, the life change that we were going to have in our family and our boys were very aware of it. And, I'm trying to remember if we actually knew her name yet at this point. I think we probably did, but we were sitting at Chick-fil-A one day and there was a, this extra chair at the table. And um, there was just this thought of, Hey, this is going to be the chair where Bing Bing sits. And so the boys were definitely um, very excited to bring her into the family. And, um, you know, going from a boy home to a girl home was definitely different. Um, I feel like, you know, in some of the early days, so much of what you're going through is even more of a, hey, we went from a family that had two kids to a family that had three kids and lots of craziness and going to different countries um, in that long process. Mm -hmm. But as she kind of grew up and we had more pink things in the, around the house and um, things like that, it was a lot of fun. But in reality, I feel like because of our boys, she ended up liking a lot of the things that they liked, uh, ended up following suit after them and wanting to play cars. And maybe it's because Micah was welcoming her into everything and would love to have her um, do those things with her. Well, and like you said, Jason, you know, vocationally, uh, you guys were living overseas and uh, your vocation had had led you to to not be living in the United States. And, you know, because of what you did, you you did have some flexibility to be able to come back and forth. What was it? What were some of those challenges? And and I guess what made it a little bit harder adopting internationally while living internationally, knowing that part of that process had to happen back in the United States? What were some challenges or what were some differences about your process because of of living abroad? Well, we did, we did start our process in the States and that fortunate for us because we were able to do a lot of things here. Um, but we did have to like have a home study update and things like that, which of course was tricky. I remember talking with our caseworker and we were just like, all right, we got to figure this out. You know, <laughs> what are we going to do? And we definitely were guinea pigs, I think in a lot of ways, but. Seems like um, we're always guinea pigs in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> but the Lord provided so amazingly, like one of the like big examples of that is that we had to have an American social worker do our home study update. And that can be tricky because 
where we were living, we didn't know that such a person existed. And so we were asking around and praying and lo and behold, we got the name of this lady who was the one and only American social worker in the entire country. And she lived two blocks away from us. And so we met up with her and she came and she was like, oh, I've seen your house before. And we became friends and she ended up updating our home study and doing our post adoption visits and things like that. And so we really had amazingly a very smooth process in adopting Francie. And uh, I really just think it was because the Lord just provided and you know, kind of paved the way. There was another piece in our desire to bring her home for the first time to what was going to be her home. And uh, we didn't want to just come back to the States and her, maybe have a little bit of attachment here. Of course, you're always guessing about where the attachments are going to happen and how it's all going to form. But our, our plan was we'll bring her back to where we're living overseas and we could get her a 90 day visa. So we basically ran to the end of that. And then we were going to come back to the States and do her naturalization process Hmm. and then go back overseas. So the first time that she came back to where we grew up being home, she had already been with us in what was going to be her home for a long time. Mm -hmm. Another little miracle of the Lord was that we had tried to get on with the state department to get all of that done, get all of the right documents in place and the appointment to go and finish her naturalization. But something had happened weird in the process. We thought we had an appointment, but they didn't know about it. So we came back to the States and we were only allowed, I think, four and a half weeks to be here. So we contacted them by email and they were really surprised that um, we thought we had an appointment and they had gone through some paperwork changes. It was really dramatic. We showed up and she said, it's really a miracle that you ended up getting this appointment because our lead time is usually a lot further. And I don't know how we ended up with this availability. We're just kind of like winking at each other saying, Oh, we know exactly how it happened. And it's all (laughs) about faith that we had in the process. So that was really great. Um, a chance to see family. I think, you know, you talk about cocooning sometimes in those first few days, and we got a chance to do that where we were living because of that 90 day tourist visa. Um, yeah, it was really a blessing. Overall, I think maybe something fascinating. So, you know, you guys really had three continent exposure, you know, the U S North America, you know, the continent where you were living and working and then Asia. And so you had a family that was from different continents, but yet a family that was living in a totally different continent and a different culture. So there were really three cultures that were going on. What was it like having a family that that wasn't of the same culture and ethnicity living in a completely different culture and ethnicity? Were there challenges of that? Were there opportunities How did that affect attachment and living? You know, when we moved to North Africa, Isaiah, our oldest, was one. And so uh, then Micah was born in North Africa uh, during our first um, season there. Then, like we said, we started our home study during our first uh, staff back here in in the United States. And then Francie came into our family. And then we had a, a fourth child. Uh, another girl, um, Ramsey, she was born also in North Africa. So in a way, we've got a family that's 
sourced or um, just they, they, we can, we count all kinds of different places as our birth countries and as home. And so that's kind of a big mix anyway. Anyway, you were about to say something else too. Yeah. I was just going to say like for our boys, especially um, living internationally and going to an international school where they had friends and families from all around the world. Um, there wasn't, it wasn't weird for us to bring someone in from another country, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and in all honesty, um, it really opened up a lot of doors for us where we were living. Um, just the fact that because in the culture that we were living, adoption is not a normal thing. It's just not something that happens. And so um, it was really cool for us, it, like talking to our friends saying, yes, we're going to China to adopt our daughter. Mm-hmm. And the way that we were able to live that out in front of them and explain that to them was such a beautiful picture of the gospel of how, mm-hmm. how God adopts us into his family. And so honestly, talking about it and, and just being that family in the context we were in gave us so many opportunities to just give witness to what God was doing. Part of that had to do with, you know, we were doing language learning at the same time. So linguistically trying to come up with the words to express the fullness of what we meant when we said adoption, because the reason they didn't do adoption is because their culture being so familial and, you know, actually dealing with death a lot more and a lot at a lot younger ages than we probably are used to dealing with here in the United States. Their practice was, well, I'll raise my brother's kid but they would raise them like in their name and for them. You didn't have a lot of children who were called orphans mm. who just didn't have a family that they belonged to. But the idea of no, we're bringing this child into our home, into our family to become one of us mm. and to also have our name and then also have like an equal share in the family, like who we are. The best way we could do it was to come up with, using the word heir. So like, you know, when we, when we die, this person would then also have like an equal share in what we were leaving behind because they are equal as a child of ours. Mm. So what we ended up using was the word for heir. I'm bringing this child in to make them an an heir in my family. So that seemed to communicate. And again, the richness of, you know, being co-heirs with Christ and his family Mm. through the beauty of the gospel just made that really sweet. So even before she came into our home, she was open opening up doors for us in the community where we went to work. That's, that's awesome. What, how about, so now you guys are, are living in the States and back working in the States and in a sense, even going through all of that, you now had a family who some had been born in North Africa, some had been born in Asia, and obviously some have been born in the United States. What kind of processes and and just reculturalization did your family have to go through? And how did maybe that adoption journey help you even be able to adjust and adapt for all of your kids? It's definitely a process, um, adjusting, having, especially for our kids, like having spent their entire childhood overseas and then trying to adjust to American life. Um, that we all have kind of gone through a little bit of an identity crisis Hmm. where we had to figure out who we are all over again. Um, But in some ways, and I, and I will say we're kind of still going through that process. I don't know that it's one that ever completes, but I think for, I know for me, especially it's been 
really cool as I've gone through that identity crisis, like to be able to understand Francie more and understand like maybe what's going on inside of her as she is processing her adoption and trying to figure out who she is. And, and even with our, our other kiddos, like they know what it's like to be in a place that feels weird and you don't feel Mm. like you fit. Mm. And I can only imagine that as Francie grows, like there are going to be times when she feels, I don't like, I don't fit, you know, like Mm. this doesn't feel right. Mm. And, and that's part of the, broken beautiful of adoption is that um we get to show her how she does fit and how she is loved but the reality is that yes you know like there is something broken about this and there is something painful and so i i really as hard as it's been and the the suffering on the inside and the outside that our whole family has gone through and transitioning back to the states Um, I feel like in a way, I hope or I pray that in a way it has made us more understanding and empathetic towards what Francie may be feeling. But also for her, she can know that we're feeling it, too. You know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. she's not alone in feeling like like the odd man out sometimes because we all feel like that sometimes. And, you know, we talk about how the Lord gives us comfort in our struggles so we can help others in theirs. Um, when we first came back, Isaiah made a friend um, pretty quickly who was just really compassionate towards him. And that was really great. As soon as he got in school, he found this friend. And so then the next year um, somebody else was coming into school and he's like, I think I can be that person for this person. There's this new person coming. And that wasn't, uh, a surprising thing to see happen, but it was beautiful to see happen. It, but then this year we got to see the same thing happen with Francie. Um, she started school with a, a little friend um, who was there for probably about five weeks, but then they moved and then it wasn't but two to three more weeks before someone else came. And I guess there was an empty spot at the desk next to her and at their school, they do these awards for like showing, you know, compassion or character. Or I can't remember. There's a, a certain letter with a character trait that she got this award for, but she was recognized by the teacher for going kind of above and beyond to accept this classmate in and make sure that they felt at home. And so I think that's just maybe not full circle because the circle just keeps going around and around and around, but it was evidence of God's grace for sure. And we were really pumped to see that happen. Yeah. And you mentioned that Jason, and it's, it's funny, right? Right before you said that, I was just thinking about Second Corinthians chapter one that that we're comforted by the Lord in order to comfort others. And I just even full circle, I think about you know your family's adjustments to living overseas and you know being the odd man out and how that prepared you for bringing Francie into your home where yeah identity wise she doesn't look like everyone else, but then how it's prepared all of you for coming here and how just even seeing how, how as a family, you're comforting one another. You know, one of the the things though, that, that you now have like in a sense, three cultures that you're looking at on a daily basis, how have you continued to incorporate Fran, Francie's culture in your home, but also the culture where you live, where you were living? How, how, how are you seeing all those cultures appreciated and incorporated into your home now? 
I feel like a lot of times when you think of another culture, the, some of the first things that pop into your head are different foods, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so we try to eat a lot of food from, you know, the places that we've lived along the way. I feel like what Francie kind of hangs on to in ter- and it's probably not even intentionally, uh, but from her home culture in China is tea is one thing. Like she loves to drink hot tea and she'll um, see us drinking our coffee or our tea and she'll want to get in on that. She also loves other things that are um, like the potato soups and the oatmeals that are honestly just in our mind, when we look at it, we almost see her like on those first days, the things that she was eating um, that were very familiar to her there. So I think she's hung on to a lot of her, um, her food tendencies and loves in terms of those specific things. But she's also got like the most mature palate of any kid that I've ever seen. It's like she'll, she'll try everything and she loves always the adult food on the table more than the kid food. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think honestly, like because of the life we've lived and uh, just living internationally that we're around a lot of different internationals anyway. And mm. so it's not abnormal for our kids. It's, it's normal to be, to celebrate other cultures, to have friends from other cultures, to enjoy other cultures. And so having a multicultural family um, just feels normal because the rest of our life looks like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that like there are times like we, it's very nuanced in how we celebrate that for Francie specifically um, because of, you know, attachment and anxieties and triggers and things like that. Like we have to pay attention because there are some times where she doesn't want to be acknowledged as being from China. And so we just kind of, you know, roll with it and kind of see how she's doing. But there are other times where she's like, oh yeah, China, that's me, you know? <laughs> like so, during the Olympics, you know, like getting yeah. to cheer for the United States and China. And then especially like getting to cheer for like Suni Lee, like, yeah. You know, like that was really yeah. cool to kind of yeah. see like, her ability to kind of identify with her too. So, so it's really, it's just, uh, it's tricky and we have to pay attention. We have to be attuned to what she's feeling and how she's doing. And we have always talked about everything from day one. And so, and, and we and our family celebrate that she's from China. And so, um, yeah, we just have to pay attention to her and see how she's feeling. And we celebrate when she's ready to celebrate and we um, just chill when she's ready to chill about it. So, mm-hmm. What are some of the biggest lessons that you would give another family that maybe hasn't had the cross-cultural experience that you guys have had that maybe their entire life has been and for the most part has been focused in the United States and now they're adopting internationally and bringing a child from a different culture. And and the assumption is almost, well, this is the dominant culture. They'll just blend in and be a part of this culture. What are some of the things you would encourage families in how to assimilate kids into their home, realizing that they're not just dealing with adoption issues at times, but they're also dealing with cultural issues. And, you know, I, I think for a lot of folks, I remember, and certainly in no regard to, uh, to what you guys have done, but my, my family was able to spend a couple of months abroad in China. And I remember the first week my wife came back and calls me and she's in tears. And I'm like, what's going on? She said, I'm at the grocery store and I can't remember what I used to get. Cause there's just so many choices, you know, and, and she was used to there being one choice and you get what you get. And, 
and there aren't all the choices. And she was actually standing in front of the peanut butter aisle and couldn't remember what kind of peanut butter that she liked. Um, and, and those are simple things. But but what are some lessons that you think that are, are some tips or some things you would want to tell a family and how to help their child as they as they acculturate as, as they come into this new culture? Hmm. That's a really good question. I feel like it, it's helpful to have your defaults set the right way. Um, you kind of asked about like having lived overseas and how that's kind of impacted. I feel like anytime you go to a new place, uh, it's really good to go with a mentality of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain amount of that that you can um, decide to have, but there's also just an element of it. That, like you just have to be taught flexibility and then given God's grace to be flexible in a whole variety of situations. But the other thing I think that helps you to be flexible is to observe the world around you, not intentionally or even accidentally from your own perspective, but to try to look through the eyes of others and to see what's going on around them. So we learned that a lot in engaging different cultures. Uh, Okay. They did something really weird today and I can't explain that from my own perspective. So it makes you uh, think about why someone else would be doing that. But then you come to a place where you understand enough about a culture to say, okay, I actually could explain that from my perspective, but I would be wrong. I need to see it from theirs. So maybe if uh, they're not exposed to the culture that they're adopting from to try to get some exposure ahead of time to give yourself a jump start in that flexibility of ways to look at things um, because I think that can really make a big difference. Now, sometimes kids are just kids, but then that <laughs> the cultural piece it can be big. What do you want to say? Yeah, I think one of the most practical ways to get someone to do that is to say, like, when you go to get your child, let's just mm-hmm. say it's China. Um, when you get off the plane in China, like pay attention to how you feel pay attention to the things that you think are weird or not normal or different or the smells that are different, the sights that are different. And through that whole time in China, like, especially before your child comes home and you've, you've got to hundred percent focus on them. But like in those moments that you have, like pay attention to how you feel as you're in a foreign place. You don't understand people. You don't, you can't communicate, you can't read the signs, all those confusing, stressful things that happen when you visit another country for the first time, that's how your child's going to feel. And I feel like that's one way that you can practically build that empathy and understanding with your, your kid as they come into this family where everything's different. You don't understand anything. You don't know what's going on. And that's like one small little piece because then you've got the trauma piece in there and all Mm. of that stuff too, which makes it all more complicated. But that is one small little thing that you can say, yeah, I know what it feels like to be, to feel strange in this place. Mm. And I don't know, that might just be one way to help. Mm -hmm. That at least helps you observe the cultural piece. And, you know, just the, like Jerry was mentioning the trauma of the whole being pulled out of one place that has become familiar and going into another place that, you know, you're thinking about it as parents from one side of this is the place that's supposed to be safe and comfortable Mm -hmm. and forever and all of those things. But 
they don't have the capacity to comprehend that yet and probably won't for quite a while. And mm -hmm. so that's um, something that as you go and you feel uncomfortable for those few days, probably to hold on to and remember that it's not just a few days that when you're bringing your child home, that that's the way they feel. That's right. So I guess lastly, and, and y'all have touched on this throughout, but if you could just say, where were the, what are the major things that the Lord has taught you both about yourself, but about himself during your adoption process and journey? <laughs> um, I will say that uh, of all the things we've done in life, adoption has definitely been the most refining and the most difficult mm -hmm. thing we've ever done. Um, it continues to be even this many years later, but, um, I think the picture that comes to mind for me is that cause we've dealt with a lot of attachment issues in our story and, um, and man, that's been tough, <laughs> extremely tough. Mm. And I, I now know not a hundred percent, but I've gotten a glimpse of the way the father loves us when we push him away and we um, do everything we can to not accept his love. He still loves us unconditionally. Mm. There's mm. nothing we can do that makes him not love us. Mm. And for me as a mom, trying to communicate that, to Francie and say like, I will love you no matter what you do at, at the same time, struggling with that, those attachment issues. Um, I feel like the Lord has given me a glimpse of the way he pursues us and he loves us even when we push him away. And that's not an easy task. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am a broken sinner and mm -hmm. it is so hard to do that sometimes but, um, but man, God has given me such grace and, and spoken deeply to me in those moments to say like the way that I love you, this is how I want you to love your daughter. I don't think, think that I could say it really any better than that, but it's just a privilege, um, and a labor, uh, that the Lord allows us to be a part of, and it's, a participation in the gospel to be able to um, be part of the earthly picture of adoption that fathers of Christ get to be a part of in the eternal perspective. And um, it's not something that happens in a moment, but it's a journey that we're all still on. Amen. Well, friends, Jason, Jerry, I, I'm so grateful for you guys and for the way that uh, you have used your lives to reflect the gospel of Christ Jesus. And, even your family uh, on mission uh, here in the States and, and with many different cultures and grateful for the opportunities he's given you guys. And thanks for just sharing of your story and of your struggles and the, 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 the lessons. And I know there are so many things we can all learn uh, from that as we seek to take the gospel to the vulnerable child and seek to wrap our families around them. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. 
For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.